everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Wesley Union, um, specifically our liturgical series. Today we are talking about Ascension Day, and I am joined by Pastor Irwin from UCF Wesley. Pastor Irwin, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. You know, it's a beautiful day. Like the sun is coming in through the window. Like you're outside and it's pretty like Florida's really doing a thing today. So that's really fantastic. Um, I'm so, so excited to hear what you have to say about Ascension Day. But before we dive into Ascension Day, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and what you do? So my name is Erwin Lopez and I was born in Venezuela and my mom actually brought me from Venezuela to Miami when I was about six months old and my dad is from Guatemala so I'm half Venezuelan half Guatemalan but I grew up in Miami so I spent 22 years living in Miami um I experienced a transformation in college it was about when I was 20 20 years old 21 years old I was a sociology major and I was really interested in participant observation and then I was really interested in religions and so I started studying religions from a participant observation perspective, which is basically you just go to these religions, you go to these church services, and you just do what they do. <clears throat> and then I stumbled upon Christianity. I started studying the Bible with a campus minister, and I kind of just felt like I love the story of Jesus, and I just felt calling to pursue Christianity. And so I experienced this transformation. Uh, about 21 years old, went to a little local church that I was dating a girl who went to that church and she invited me to go. And I just loved it there. It was a community that wasn't about what my community at the time was about. My community at the time was about, you know, partying in college, your typical college life. But this community was about something bigger. I felt like it was about connections, purity, kindness, generosity, mission trips. It just gave me a bigger purpose. And so I went there and my pastor that I feel like you're called into ministry and then I discerned that and then long story short I went to Duke Divinity School got my Master's in Divinity I did spend a little bit of time in Asbury Seminary but I graduated from Duke and and then I got my first two-point charge which is two churches in Lakeland I did that for a little while then I met my wife and I moved to Orlando to be the campus minister at UCF and now I have two kids and I've been at UCF for about nine years and I love it here and I'm learning every day and growing and um yeah I got two little kids and I play basketball I like to crossfit I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I like to eat cook and travel that's me cool it's neat that you like studied sociology some in college that's actually what my bachelor's degree is in um is sociology and so you said sociology, and I was like, oh, I know exactly what's, what we're talking about now. This is, yes, participant observation is really fascinating. Sociology is actually where I first learned about deconstruction, because sociology teaches you how to deconstruct everything. So mm-hmm. all cultures, all peoples. And when you, can, when you begin doing the work of deconstruction in your own life, and then you start doing it in Christianity, it, it really unites us, because um, Christianity is just a culture, you know, to group of people surround them, surrounding themselves around this set of beliefs. Anyway, so we can go on talk about that some Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I remember when I first started really like diving into sociology and also diving into Christianity and deconstructing and reconstructing and unpacking the like 
faith I'd been raised with versus the faith I wanted to have and like the convictions I was holding. Sociology was like the language of like figuring it all out for me. So I, I completely see your point and agree. Like it's yeah. To dive in, I guess, to the like meat of the discussion and the content of the day. Um, why does the liturgical calendar like matter? Why is it important broadly? And then specifically, why does Ascension Day matter? Like, and what even is Ascension Day? Like you, I know we were talking a little bit before the podcast started. Like you, the liturgical calendar was something that was new to me when I became a Christian, more specifically a United Methodist. Um, United Methodists aren't the only ones who use the liturgical calendar. The Catholic Church does it. And there's a, a, a series of other denominations that practice the liturgical calendar. But what the liturgical calendar is, is reading the life of Jesus from beginning to end. It's the, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and also learning about the past. So reading about the entire story of Jesus from the Old Testament, you know, to the book of Revelation. And it's about constantly, for me, when I read the liturgical calendar, it's important for me because it gives me discipline. It gives me discipline in my scripture reading. Um, people are often wondering, what should I read? How should I read it? Where should I start? Well, liturgical calendar is a nice place to start because you're getting a nice, um, you're getting like, a full picture because you're reading an Old Testament verse, you're reading a song, one of the letters, and you're reading um, a gospel reading. And so it gives me discipline every week I'm reading these scriptures, and it also ties my life in with the life of Jesus Christ. Like I'm always thinking about my life side by side to the life of Jesus. Like what am I doing today? <laughs> and what was Jesus doing doing during this time? You know, hypothetically speaking. And so it gives me discipline to read scripture in a new way. It gives me discipline to also see my life side by side with Jesus's path and Jesus's, you know, ministry, life, death, and resurrection. And it also helps me understand life in seasons, right? Because life is made up of seasons. There are seasons of lamenting, there's seasons of pain, there's seasons, seasons of joy, there's seasons of ministry, there's seasons of work. And so in the same way that Jesus went through these different seasons, I remind myself that my life goes in seasons. So if I'm sad, I got to understand this is just a sad season for me. If I'm happy, I also balance that with, this is just a happy season for me. Don't get too excited. You just, it just may be the eye of the storm. And so it helps me to see life in, in seasons. And so yeah, and it's also nice to just kind of do what the tradition did, you know, and do what the, the monks did and, and read these scriptures like the early church did and to participate in these early practices. Like, it's just kind of cool to, to join this body of believers uh, as we're reading the same text and preaching on the same text and it unites us with each other and with our past. And also, one more thing I want to share. It gets you reading new scripture. Like it gets you it gets you reading scripture that you wouldn't read before you wouldn't have read before you know so yeah yeah I totally agree I love the way the liturgical calendar grounds us in rhythms and seasons I think was the word you used but potato potato similar similar things there and 
the connectedness it provides to, to use a very, I guess, churchy term, the great cloud of witnesses, you know, all those who have gone before us and like the history. And that's one thing I really appreciated coming into United Methodism is the like grounding in like some level of tradition, just because what I grew up in was very much focused on the here and now and contemporary, like, and that's good. Like there's nothing like you need to focus on what's happening now, but there is something valuable that comes from sitting in tradition, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. It lets you know that you're part of a bigger story. And also humbles you to know that you didn't make this up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the way that you're living on your Christianity, I mean, you're just joining a party that has always been happening and you're not the author of that. Like so it's been happening and I was learning, you know, you can better learn yourself by learning your past and by learning your tradition. So, yeah. I know you asked me about Ascension. Why is Ascension important? Yeah, why does the Ascension Day matter in all of this and specifically in the liturgical calendar and in this story of this greater story that we're being connected to? Well, I, I feel like at its, in its simplest uh, terms or in the simplest definition, the Ascension Day matters because it's part of the story. It's part of the Christian story that we must wrestle with and we must think about. Um, what does it mean that Jesus ascended? It gives us an opportunity to reflect on a new scripture. And whenever you are, you are given time to reflect on a new scripture, you're always going to come up with new ideas. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in new ways. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you understand the story, the larger part of the story. So the Ascension Day is specifically important because it was, it was the time where Jesus says, like, I'm out, peace. Like, my physical presence is no longer here. And so now the church is by itself. Now you, you guys are going to have to figure it out without my physical presence here. And so when you just say that statement, there's conversation that you can have the whole about um, consciousness, you know, subconsciousness about individual responsibility. I mean, there's so many things that you can reflect on. So the Ascension Day is important because it teaches the church its history and it uh, challenges us to think about this day and come up with some new ideas. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. It's the day that's also overlooked. Like, I don't remember any, you know, there's no big holiday for Ascension Day the same way that there is for Easter or Pentecost. You know, it's really overlooked. Like, even when you asked me, I was like, I mean, I know what Ascension Day is. I know what the scripture is, but like, I've never been part of a church that celebrates it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, honestly, those are, because I've been doing this since Advent started, right, talking to different people about the different liturgical days and liturgical calendar. And I think the ones that have been the most interesting and meaningful for me are the ones that are about days and seasons that we kind of don't lean into as much. Because, like, I th there's something valuable in them, I think. And I think I like didn't pay attention to their value as much. And so I've really enjoyed getting to sit in some of these um, days more because I've gotten to learn more about them or these seasons. And so I definitely am excited that we're like talking about Ascension Day because, yeah, I I don't I didn't hear about Ascension Day being a thing until like, I don't know, two years ago, something like that. <laughs> Well, there's, there's a deep metaphor there, I think. And this is something that I learned while I was in seminary from Origen. I don't know if you remember his early church father, but I really liked Origen because he was kind of crazy. He was a little crazy. But what he would do is that he would preach on the scriptures that nobody wanted to preach on. 
like he would preach on, preach on like the book of Leviticus. Kind of like similar to what Rob Bell did when he first came, became popular. He would preach a whole, oh, he, I think he spent like a whole year in the book of Leviticus. And, and the bigger metaphor, I think, that Origin taught me is do the work that nobody else is doing. Read the scriptures that nobody wants to read. And so not only has that impacted me from a, a standpoint of studying the scriptures, but also practically. Like I remember when I had like church work days and I don't want to like brag or anything, but I remember like they used to ask like, who wants to clean the bathroom? Nobody wanted to clean the bathroom. Right. But I remember origin in my ear saying, clean the bathroom, do what nobody wants to do. And so you know, I said, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do it, but I, I did it. And it's about participating and doing the things that nobody wants to do. That's sometimes where you learn the biggest lessons, you know? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. And I, I didn't know about origin. So that's like, I always enjoy learning about new voices in like the world of religion to like go Google and see what they were saying and like read what they were writing and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, origin believed, sorry, one more thing about origin. Origin believed that the scripture had many layers. He said it was like a treasure that you keep on digging and digging and digging and digging and you'll find like an, an infinite amount of, of layers of the scripture. Now I want to like stop and go Google it, but we have to keep doing this, which this is great. I'm very excited about this. I just, uh, so now that you've kind of, I guess, given us kind of the broad things, and I think you tapped into this a little bit as you started to like talk about origin and like your personal like convictions, but what does Ascension Day mean to you on a personal level? Like, what does it represent for you? Like in your like walk and faith? Um, yeah, I was reflecting on it and I was thinking about it. And the, the biggest thing that Ascension Day means for me is that the disciples could no longer look to Jesus's physical presence for help. They, the scripture says that they're looking up at Jesus and you eventually have to go from this moment where you stop looking up and you got to start looking at the people in front of you and you can no longer depend on Jesus's physical presence. And now you have to figure it out with the people in front of you <laughs> and you're looking around and it's a bunch of broken people. It's a bunch of imperfect people. And so there comes a time where we can pray, we can pray, we can pray, but we have to do the work of God with people. <laughs> right. And not only do you have to begin to look at each other for the answers, but you also have to look inwardly for the answers because the Bible then says the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And so it's about trusting your community, trusting your community and trusting yourself, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, it was a calling to like, well, it was a calling one not to give up on the church, right? <laughs> not to give up on the church, to realize that the church is important. But it's also a calling that God trusts me. God trusts me. Jesus trusted these people enough to, to leave them in some ways. So, I mean, I keep on talking about that. But that's, out of all my years of studying that scripture, I heard a sermon on, on that. And that was what stuck to me. You go from this moment where you have to stop looking up. And you got to start looking inwardly. And you got to start looking at how you're going to do this with the people around you. So, Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I, I definitely can see that. And I think it also, it goes well with, you know, love God and love your neighbor. And like, you can't, you can't love your neighbor without looking at them. Right. Like, and so if we're only looking at God, right. And we're not paying attention to our neighbors and like leaning into our community because God made us in community. Like we are missing out on a, an aspect of living into the call God has placed on like our lives as Christians. And so, no, I think it's a really valuable insight. And then yes, trusting yourself and like the presence of the Holy spirit inside of you. And like, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot to it too, because I don't know how you feel, but sometimes you ever look at your colleagues or you ever look at your leaders and you think to yourself, <laughs> or even you look at yourself and like, damn, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? There's a bunch of imperfect people. Like, dang, if I only had this, or if I only had that, or if I had this person, if I only had this, you've only had a Maverick city music to lead us in worship, <laughs> you know, every, every Sunday or something. But Jesus said, no, what you have is each other. And it's a bunch of broken people, and that's what it is. So figure it out. <laughs> I feel like Jesus was also saying, figure it out, you know? Anyway. Yes, no, I figure it out. Jesus 2020. Have you seen, there's an Instagram account, and it's like the Gen Z Bible or something like that, and they basically take Bible verses and like use like Gen Z slang nice. to like, reformulate them and I feel like that should be one <laughs> like figure it out <laughs> that's cool I like that I like that yeah yeah okay so we're gonna take a really quick break and then we will be back to dig into Ascension Day a little bit more and yeah so stay with us friends in addition to these Wesley Union liturgical year podcast we also have a liturgical reflections blog series where different members of the Studio Wesley community share their thoughts on different liturgical days and seasons. To read some of these reflections, visit www.studiowesley.org slash blogs slash liturgical dash reflections. All right, everyone, we are back for the second half of our Ascension Day episode. Um... And to just dive right back into it, and I know we touched on this a little bit before the break, but I'm going to ask that Pastor Erwin explain this to us like we've never heard it before, like we're brand new. What is the story behind Reason for Ascension Day? What is, how did that happen? Okay, well, the story behind Ascension Day, when I saw that question, I thought like, okay, give us some context. Okay, so I feel like to give to give some just some simple context is Jesus has been equipping these disciples. He's been teaching them. They have been together for three years, at least, right? Like they have fallen in love with each other. They have seen Jesus do miracles. They are probably living their best life. Um, and then you get to this point where you have to say goodbye. It's kind of sad too, right? I would say, like, whenever I go on mission trips, uh, I would say um, saying goodbye is part of the Christian story. Like, you meet so many beautiful people, but you have to say goodbye. But then you get to say hello, too, right? And you get to meet some amazing people. But saying goodbye is part of the Christian story. And this is where Jesus says goodbye in his physical presence. And so that's the story behind it. 
Ascension Day is the day where he ascends into heaven. We don't know how he ascends. If he disappears, if he floats up to the to the air, but he takes and scholars write about this. His final, like where he's supposed to be, he's enthroned back in his heavenly realm, and he leaves the disciples, um, and he tells them, "Go and make disciples. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine." And so that's the story behind it all. So it's. That's the context behind it. And then this moment is also setting up the day of Pentecost because Jesus tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, but wait for the Holy Spirit. And we believe the Holy Spirit comes on that story of Pentecost. So it's setting up the story of Pentecost. So, yeah. 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 And sometimes I think, like you started to like, you know, say that go and make disciples of all nations, which I think ties into my next question um, kind of well. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe you have a completely different take. But like, why is this story significant to the church and today's society? Like, why why are we still talking about this one? Why does it matter? Well, we have to talk about it because it happened, right? Because it's in the scriptures. <laughs> so we got to talk about it because of that. And I think... It's also important to talk about because we have to ask ourselves, would Jesus be happy with what we've done? Mm. Jesus ascended. He trusted us. And now if we look at our church and our settings, it's, is he happy? Have we done what we needed to do? Um, would Jesus be proud of us? I think he would. I think he would. But then another thing that comes to mind is that I was the Lord has been speaking to me in this way, a message of inclusion, a message of freedom. And you got to think about it. Like <laughs> at the very end of the story of Jesus, at the very end of the story of the disciples in Matthew, it says some doubted. So these are people who were with them all, all this time, but they still doubted. They still did not comprehend the story completely. They still not, did not comprehend who Jesus was completely. And so when I see Jesus leave these disciples, he had these 12 disciples right there. And I wonder how much of the message of Jesus did they grasp? And what did they do with what they grasped? Because they couldn't have grasped it all. They couldn't have understood it all. We know they didn't understand. So they only took what they could because they're human beings. And so you, they, you can't learn everything in trigonometry class. You know what I mean? So they took what they could and they went out and they created a community based on their best abilities and their best comprehension of something that they ultimately did not understand. You see what I'm saying? And so you essentially have these at least 12 different interpretations of who Jesus was, which for me, I've always believed that everybody believes in God in a way that is as unique as the fingerprint. Mm. Nobody believes in God in the same way. They can't. It's impossible to a hundred percent believe. And so to me, I almost see Jesus as, as um, trusting us, challenging us, but also giving us the freedom to represent him with our own identities, with our own languages, with a freedom of interpretation. There's a freedom of interpretation here that is going to make people uncomfortable. Um, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that freedom of interpretation? Because that is essentially what happened. 
Some probably were more inclusive. Some probably more conservative. Some probably left the faith. You know, who knows what happened in the end? Some, some were martyred for their faith. And so why is that important for the church? Well, I believe that if we want diversity in our churches, we also need to have diversity of thought. We need to have a church where people are allowed to bring in their beliefs, their backgrounds, and their interpretations. There must be freedom in the church when it comes to more freedom in the church when it comes to interpreting the story, because ultimately they all doubted in the end. They nobody fully grasped it. Okay. So I can keep on talking about that, but that's why it's important. I feel like that's part of the reason why it's important. Jesus trusted these 12 people and then they just went out and did whatever they did. And it looked different. It looked different. Everybody's interpretation was different. No, I, I absolutely agree. Like, I think it doesn't work in any context whenever we try to say everyone has to live within this certain parameter and line, right? Like the human experience is too varied. People are too varied. Backgrounds are too varied. Like to, to create a binary limits the ability of people to experience the fullness of life and of God and of creation and of all these things. And so, yeah, I totally, yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. And then another thing too, that I wanted to say was the disciples were trusted to, to build the church, but their time was limited. Like they were mortals, right? So they were going to die. Right. So they only had so much time to do the best that they can, they could. And so that's a message for the church and for individuals in the church. Like, what are you going to do with the time that you're given? And every single generation has a certain amount of time that they're given to interpret the message of Jesus for their time. And so this is why Generation Z or all the generations, millennials, like we're essentially interpreters. We're essentially taking the meta narratives of Jesus and even the little details that you can find and interpreting it for our generation, for the time that we've been allotted. And that's what the disciples are doing. So what are you doing with your time? You know, so that's why I like working with college students because they help me. They give me the language, the tools, you know, they help me like a new word in college students is period. Have you heard this period on period? On, it's like, <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Yeah. But I'm always learning. Have you learned this? Yeah. That's it. No, I, TikTok helps me stay up with all the latest slang to be quite honest. <laughs> Cause I, yeah, it's, I'm one of those, those weird like age bracket people where I'm like either at the end of millennials or the beginning of Gen Z. And so it's like this kind of, I think technically I fall into like very early Gen Z, but like my younger sibling who is like 19, like knows so much more slang and like lingo and like pop culture stuff that's like really relevant to Gen Z than I do. And I'm like, sure. Okay. I, let's go with it. But, but yeah, that's their printing it. press. You know what I mean? In some ways that's their printing press. Like Luther's generation had the printing press. And so how do they interpret the message of Jesus? They used, so the printing press, TikTok, like, don't be afraid of those things. It's just, it's just uh, learn them. As a sociology major, you're perfect because all you do is study culture. So all you're doing is studying young people culture, you know, which I love young people culture. <laughs> I love it. 
Yes, it's quite quite a thing to study culture and ideas and unpack systems. And yeah, I very much enjoyed sociology. Um, speaking of cultures, I think the Bible is like a really good example of like a culture's history and like a culture's imprint that they left um, as we were talking about some of that. So are there other scriptures and Bible stories that come to mind when you think about Ascension Day other than the story of the Ascension itself? Are there other tie-ins there that are relevant to that interpretation? Yeah, I was thinking about John 3, 8, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and how no one knows where the Spirit comes from and no one knows where it's going. And so Jesus also says, and so it is with somebody who is born again. And so think about that. Like there is that freedom there too. To say that when the Holy Spirit, or, you know, we believe in prevenient grace, so a conversation with the Holy Spirit is a different thing, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, you don't know what's going to happen to them. You know, like there may not be a United Methodist pastor. They may not be, you know, a deacon or an elder or take these traditional routes. Like, and I love that. I love that freedom, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen to these folks. And I think ultimately, as long as it, it, the same message, and the same message is always love God, love neighbor, and love yourself, you know, bring some hope and encouragement into this world, like unite people. Um, you know, I really love Martin Luther King's beloved community. It's an all-inclusive community where they are committed to each other um, and they refuse for people to be poor and refuse anyways. But I love that freedom of interpretation, that freedom of expression to think about how when the Holy Spirit comes, we don't know how what's going to happen. And um, I, I love new things. And I love when people do new things. You know, like I have a student who, she went to seminary in um, Seattle, you know, and she went to this super liberal seminary and, was, and she's doing amazing. And she's up in Seattle doing counseling. And I have another student who went to do justice ministries in um, a United Methodist seminary and she's doing amazing too. And I have a student who, uh, <laughs> two students who left the ministry and now they're Mormon. Now they're Mormon, which is like, what do I do with that, Lord? Right? Because you don't know where the Holy Spirit leads people, you know? You didn't even know if that's the place where the Holy Spirit led people. So it's like, gosh, you never know. Don't worry about it. Let God do what God does. You just try to preach a message of love and unity. And yeah, that's what I thought of. And, and that's what the church is, right? Because when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, look what happened. We have Baptists and Presbyterians and non-denoms and Pentecosts and you know, who, who, and all kinds of other stuff. So there's, a, again, that freedom of interpretation. So, Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, to continue on this, like, thinking in, like, biblical things, like, there were the 12 tribes, you know, that came out of Jacob, and then you have these 12 disciples, and you have even, you know, Jacob and Esau forming two different, you know, Abrahamic traditions, right? Like, there is so much variation that came from such similar things because people only saw, like you were saying, like, and understood and interpreted different portions of Jesus and the message of God and the story. And yeah, like. Even within Judaism, you see that you have Orthodox Jews, you know, you have, you know, all these different sects within every religion. So, 
And I think the message of Jesus is that somehow they all belong. And we have to say that because we believe at the end of the day that humanity is one race, right? Or like it's one, we're all human, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. our goal is to somehow bring people together, bring communities together and express love. And, and so, yeah, 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 you never know. You never know. Yeah. And who are we to put limits on the Holy Spirit? Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So, and we've, I think we've been like diving into this some. So, you know, feel free to restate or just state your main point on this, I guess. But how does Ascension Day carry us and center us in the overarching story of scripture and the work of the church? Yeah. So, in terms of carrying us, um, well, you know, it's nice to know that the Holy Spirit is really what carries us at the end of the day. So that's nice to know. The Holy Spirit, we're not doing this alone. And if we were, we'd be making a lot of mistakes, which we are already making a lot of mistakes. But it's nice to know that the Holy Spirit is leading us. So as long as we, take, we have a, a discernment process of prayer, of having a good community around you to help you discern the next steps, you know, you just go. Like somebody once said that, you know, if you feel 51% inclined to do something, that's God. <laughs> you know, so it's nice to say that it's the Holy Spirit that's, that's with us. So the Holy Spirit is what carries us. So it's nice to know that we're not alone. We're not alone. And that's hope for me, right? We're not alone. Um, and it's also, it, it carries me because it, it challenges me. It challenges me to say, hey, I have a role. I have a role. Like I went, like I was telling, I have a role in this generation, in the church of this generation, to help shift it. And sometimes it's not a big shift. Sometimes my role is just to do a real small shift in the church. And I'm no savior, right? But it reminds me that I have a role to shift the church a little bit towards faithfulness. Um, And Jesus has a lot of trust in me, in us, to do this. And so how can we learn about the church of the past and shift the church towards a more faithful future. And I think what the generations are teaching us more and more now is this message of inclusion has been lost. And how do we shift the church towards that? So that's how it carries me. In terms of centering us, how does it center us? Well, you know, it centers me to remember that, okay, God formed a church. <laughs> the church is important. It's important to be part of a community of believers. Um, it makes me rem- reminds myself that the church is important. The community, I know I said that a couple times, but like there's sometimes I want to give up. I was like, I don't, the church is more successful outside of these four walls. Like sometimes I want to give up, but it's like, okay, just you're committed to this denomination, help it reassess what you're doing. It centers me because it makes me think, God, are you proud of this? Um, and it centers me because it, it again re- reminds me that I have a big role. We have a big role. To, um, to help the church be faithful. It centers me and it reminds me that I'm not alone and it's a big calling and it humbles me, you know, and yeah, it challenges me. Mm. That's a good question, you know. It's a good question. The whole, how does it carry us? How does it center us? That last question, it's a tough question. I will need more time to, to think about it, but when you sent it to me earlier, it's a, it's a tough question. How does it carry you and center you? Have <laughs> you thought about that? <laughs> I do think about that. And I, that's actually my favorite question on the list of questions that I ask. Um, 
And I, I think it is very much something I unpack every day, how different days, scriptures, experiences center and connect me. I think, I think Ascension Day is very much this reminder that we are not supposed to do nothing with the faith we have and like the work of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the Holy Spirit like that has come upon us. I think it it's this reminder that Jesus came, did stuff, and then, as you said, trusted us to carry out like what we believe to be his, the values that he asked us to carry out into the world. And I think it, it centers us in that this world matters, but also things beyond the world we know potentially matter. Cause you know, Jesus went to prepare a place, right? Like it, it is this centering and caring that there is more to this life than just me that I should care about my community. I should also care about myself, that I should care about God and that I should be doing my best to bring about justice and inclusion and love really into the world and creating space for other people to experience that love and that connectedness to something beyond themselves in whatever way I can. No one's ever thrown the question back at me before. I wasn't quite prepared for all of that. But I think it's this yeah, reminder for us and then to help move the church in that direction as much as we're able in our time as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it centers me, as you were sharing too, it centers me too because it reminds me that, you know, I don't have to be perfect. Like I don't have it all figured out, right? And neither, neither mm-hmm. did these disciples. They may have got, they may have understood more than me. Maybe not. <laughs> but they were still given a task to go. And so they weren't perfect. They were with imperfect people and they still had to figure it out. They still had to figure it out. So. There's, there's this song I really like. It's called The Doubtful One by The Collection. And there's, it's from like the perspective of Thomas. And it's like, did you walk away from Jesus wondering if it was all a dream? Like, like what? It just kind of is imagining some of what that was like. And then it throws it into like some modern context in um, that it's like, you know, I want my hands to bleed from loving, not from condemning, because isn't that what he would have us do? There's more to life than like dying in a pew. Like there's, it's just, I'm not doing the song justice at all right now, but that's very much things I think about. And like, as you're talking about the disciples, you know, they were 12 of them. They all like left and maybe had different perspectives and ideas and carried out different things that were important to them in the work of the church and in creating the church and the early church, especially like, it's like, what was it like to walk away? Like, did it all feel like a dream? Like, it's like, was this even real? Like, you know, did I imagine something for X number of years? Like, that's how I feel now. Sometimes I'm like, if I were to leave the faith, is everything that I did, was that, is it real? Did it matter? Mm-hmm. Did what, you know, and then when I start thinking about that, I, that always, 
the fruit of what has happened to me and to the people around me since I became a Christian is always enough for me to go back to it whenever I'm doubting, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> also, Thomas and Thomas, just a little side note. I, one, I heard an interpretation in that scripture. You know how it says in that scripture, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Like, I've heard an interpretation where that's like um, self and the true self and the false self. Mm. And what you see is that we are like Thomas. We have a Didymus or we, ha- or we have a Thomas, a part of ourselves that doubts. So here's what you're seeing as an internal struggle. Anyway, that thought was cool interpretation. That is interesting. I had never heard that before. Yeah, I heard it from Jimmy uh, Jakes, actually. Ah, my mom likes to listen to him. <laughs> I love Jimmy Jakes. You should listen to him. I'm telling you, he's good. So I, I probably should. I I think I just like grew up hearing him around the house, and so it's like you know how like whenever you're like a kid, like and you just like learn to zone something out, and then it's like hard to learn not to zone things out. This sounds bad. I'm not like against TD Jakes. I just I think I got used to like zoning him out as a kid because it would be playing like while I'd be doing homework or something. <laughs> he's good. He's good. So I I probably need to just like rewire my brain to actually pay attention to him and not. Don't ask Derek about him because Derek probably doesn't like him. I don't even think Kitty Jakes believes in the Trinity. I think he believes like he doesn't believe in triune, like three persons and all that. But you know what? Like I said, freedom of interpretation, <laughs> right? Like. Yes. All right. Well, it's been so good talking with you today. I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this um, episode and to learn more about Ascension Day and everything else that we talked about. But thank you so much um, for joining us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And I pray all, all the best for Studio Wesley and uh, um, tell Derek I said hello. Well, dude, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wesley Union. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to extend a special thanks to today's speaker, as well as our production team, Troy Argon Buchanan, Sarah Taylor, and Derek Scott III. My name is Allison Corwin, and thank you for listening to Wesley Union, a Studio Wesley offering powered by Campus to City Wesley.